Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> this is the last week we're going to be in Philippians. Um, I, I uh, as a pastor, I, I'll tell you, I've enjoyed preaching my way through uh, a whole book because um, it's it's the messages all build on each other and it's one thing after another. So I'm not waking up on Monday morning thinking, what the heck am I going to talk about today? <laughs> but but uh, the question I want to ask before I start, um, I my natural inclination would be to move on to either Ephesians or Galatians and do another book. Um, have you all enjoyed doing the sermons in the book this way? Have you all been fed by this, or would you rather I do? I see two thumbs up in the back. Um, okay, so um, we'll be moving on to one of Paul's other letters then, and, and we're going to continue to do um, just book by book um, um, for a little while longer, okay? Um, I shouldn't have warned you that, so people won't show up next week who don't want it that way. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we're moving into the, the last week of this, and Paul, um, Paul, it's interesting. There's this inclination as you're reading the end of one of Paul's books here, like, oh, we're going to just go right into the goodbyes, and that'll be it. And Paul doesn't do that to us. Paul gives us a big, a big solid idea um, right on the end. And, and um, it relates to, to kind of the major theme of the book. Um, Paul talks about joy over and over and over again, how to live a life that, that is, is filled with joy, that, that is, is happy regardless of the circumstance. Um, you know, through it all, like, like the joy is there. And, and um, he doesn't disappoint with this last section. Um, I'm going to do the quick background because this, is, again, is the eighth sermon in this series. So if you've missed the first seven... Um, Paul's situation, he's in jail as he's writing this, so he's talking about how happy he is with life and how joy-filled he is from jail. And not only is he in jail, he's in like the time period equivalent of maximum security. He's chained to two guards 24-7, and instead of being dismayed by it, he just spends all his time telling the guards about Jesus, and he converts a whole bunch of people in the palace guards. And then in the house of the of the Caesar, end up like converting a whole bunch of people from the house of Caesar, like... Like, Paul is continuing to do his work even in the worst of circumstances. Um, and so, like, as he's talking about joy in this situation, the other thing is, um, at the beginning of the letter, Paul talks about gifts that this church has given him. And that's going to come up here again, okay? So, as we talk about the gifts, I'll fill that in. But just FYI, in the first couple of messages, we looked at some of the things that this church had done to support um, to support Paul and his work, which is sort of funny. Money has been a topic that's come up in conversations I've had over and over again this morning, and so it sort of fits. Um, actually, before we get to that, I want to ask a question. Have any of y'all uh, seen or read the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory books, or is it Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is the right title? Is it Charlie? I've, I've, has anybody not? Let's ask it this way. Neither the movies nor the book. You're the only one, by the way. Oh, <laughs> Francis also, sorry, you can, you can, <laughs> I, I read the book like several times in high school, I really, it's one of my favorite books ever because it's about candy, I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's candy, you know, how do you go wrong, and then the Gene Wilder movie as a kid, I remember I've seen it probably about a hundred times, it's one of my favorite movies ever, and then there was that recent movie, um, I liked it. I did. My wife made a face at me. Uh, am I messing with the slides? Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So there were the, the for the for the two of you who are the only people in Montana who haven't seen this set of movies or read the book. 
Um, <laughs> it, it's a story about um, Willy Wonka who owns like a candy factory, and it's like a magic candy factory with, you know, little little midgety people that make the candy. I guess I don't know how to say that right. Um, I know they're Oompa Loompas. I <laughs> But if I say to somebody who hasn't read the book or seen the movies, so these Oompa Loompas, what is that? You know, they're midgets. They're little orange midgets this is what they are, but in white overalls. Um, so <laughs> the, the Oompa Loompas, they, not, it doesn't even have anything to do with that. Sorry. Um, Willy Wonka um, decides he's going to re find a replacement. And so he, he has a contest where kids look for golden tickets in candy bars in order to like win an opportunity to tour the factory. And in the end, he picks one of the kids. And there, there are several kids, I think five, right? Does anybody remember their names? Violet Beauregard, Mike TV, um, anybody else? Augustus Gloop, the German kid. Hey, don't point at me. <laughs> um, and Veruca Salt. And uh, Charlie, that's all of them, five? That's right. Um, and their parents, right? And so as the story goes, we find out that, that Willy Wonka is, is slowly killing these children off. It's what happens. <laughs> but he, Because each of them has a fatal character flaw, right? Um, Mike TV is like a, a TV junkie. Like he lives in front of the TV. And, and uh, Veruca Salt, what, what's her deal? She's a spoiled brat, right? She wants everything right now. You know, don't the the best song in the whole movie is uh, "Don't Care How I Want It Now," um, like which is in the Gene Wilder one. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, uh, Violet Beauregard is competitive and chews gum all the time, and Augustus Gloop is is a is a glutton, right? Like he eats and eats and eats and eats and and eventually he almost drowns in a lake of chocolate. But what a way to go! Um, <laughs> Um, and then Charlie is poor, and that's his fatal character flaw. Um, <laughs> so, so you've got these kids, and I—it's funny. I used to do this with uh, with uh, groups of kids at the children children's home, and these are all kids who came from really poor backgrounds. And I would ask them, which kid is the least happy in this movie? We'd watch it, and we'd sit down, and we'd talk about the movie. Which kid is the least happy? If you were going to guess as to which kid was the least happy child in that film. You know, the, the gang kids all said, or the poor kids all said, well, Charlie, because he's poor, right? You would think Violet would, or not Violet, um, Veruca would be happy. Why? Because she gets everything she wants, right? How many of you all have a list of things you'd really like? Really? Only about half of you? How many of you are lying right now or too, <laughs> too asleep to raise your hand? Um, the problem with that is, and you see it with, with um with uh, Veruca, really, like it's noticeable. As soon as she gets something, what does she say? I want something else, right? I want more. So she sees something. She says, that would make me happy. And as soon as she gets it, she's unhappy again because she has something else that she wants. Her list of wants and needs, is, or wants, not needs, is so extensive that she can never be satisfied. Um, Augustus, what makes him happy? Eating. But as soon as he eats, what... What does he do? He eats some more. And so he's never really, anybody feel that way? <laughs> he's never really happy. As soon as he gets what he wants, he wants something else. Um, and, and actually, you go through all of the characters, they're all like that. And, and actually, I think that Rod Dahl, who wrote the book, does a really good job of displaying human nature. Um, if we live our lives looking for happiness in the stuff we can have, 
um, we're going to live our lives being unhappy. Does that make sense? Um, and that's actually where Paul goes with this. Um, can I get back into my slide here now? Okay. Um, Philippians 4.10, you can follow along if you've got a Bible along with you, or you can read it on the screen. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before but lacked opportunity. So what's going on? Um, Paul is saying to this church in Philippi, I am really happy that you guys have decided you were going to help me again. They've sent him, we find out they sent him a gift with probably money. They also send him a guy named Epaphroditus, or I'm saying that wrong, I'm sure, because it's from memory. But um, uh, the, they sent him a fellow to come and help him out while he's in prison. Okay, so he's got, gotten a gift from this church, a gift of support. And he says right out of the gate, I am really happy that you guys have decided to help me some more, right? Because while you're in prison, do you get to work? Not usually, right? So Paul's not making a living at this point, so how is he eating? He's eating because people are bringing him food because unlike our prisons, these prisons, you didn't get fed. People you knew fed you or you starved to death. Got it? So, like, Paul is being supported by this church, like, and they're keeping him alive. Um, and so they've had this opportunity to help him, and they do. Um, and Paul is very happy about that. It's been years since they've had opportunities to help him. And he's over and over again in this letter said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, they lacked opportunity. There are some folks who say that the church was probably poor. It was probably not the case, actually. Paul made money. He made tents. He was a skilled laborer. Everywhere he went, he would set up a church while he made tents. Um, there's a phrase in ministry, tent-making pastors. It's a pastor who has a job and a, is a pastor. And, and it's tough being on call all the time. You can't get a moment free without somebody calling you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, so Paul is in this spot where, like, like, these folks have had an opportunity to help him, and they help him. And he goes on and he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Okay, um, he says, Listen, I, I'm not speaking from a place where I'm asking for stuff. Paul is not standing there with his hand out. Everybody with me? Paul um, is not living in want. Uh, Paul is not um, discontent, right? He's not, he's not sitting there, you know, in prison, chained to these guys saying, oh, this is awful. Oh, God, why would you do this to me? Oh, God, you know, and anybody here, first off, anybody been in situations where you've looked around and thought, this could not be any worse than it is right now? Or, or you're so busy looking and saying, God, what the heck, that you forget to stop and say, well, God, thanks for taking care of me, so I know that even if this goes badly, you got me. Um, Paul learns how to be content, and we're going to get into that. The word content here, by, or learned, um, the word learned, as Paul is using it, um, um, means he's come to the understanding, right? He uses words like this twice in this passage. The first time he says, I've come to the understanding, or I've grown to understand how to be content, and the word literally, the root of it is self-reliant, right? And, and Paul isn't self-reliant. He's not taking care of himself. God is taking care of him. We're going to get to that again in a little bit. Like this, there's a lot of front-loading in what Paul is saying here. But he says, listen, I just, I've grown to accept the reality that, that I can get by with what I got. I can get by. I can be content. Um, what does the word content mean, guys? Satisfied, right? I'm satisfied. I'm full, right? Um, 
I, I'm going to side note, our, our culture doesn't like contempt, right? It, it just doesn't because, you know, in order for things to keep going forward, we've got to keep buying stuff. So you turn the TV on, they tell you your car isn't quite as good as it could be, right? The new game system is slightly faster than the old game system. Isn't that 40-inch television not nearly as good as the 60-inch television you could have? Um, you know, wouldn't your life be better? Wouldn't you be happy if you had candy to eat today? Wouldn't it be better if you went out to eat? Wouldn't your family be closer if you had new cell phones? Wouldn't, you know, that iPhone 4, that's a piece of junk. There's a 5 out now. I mean, like the basic message of advertising is you're not happy, but you could be, right? And, and in our culture, we've gotten to this point where um, happiness is so elusive that even waiting a few minutes begins to drive us nuts, right? Like, I want it now. I want my instant gratification. Anybody ever have to wait in line at McDonald's, like in the drive-thru? And you're, you want to go somewhere, and you're watching the clock tick by, and you're thinking, what are they doing up there? The menu's always the same. <laughs> There's nothing. I mean, like, you don't have to think this through. Just order something. And, and, like, you start to get a little agitated. Is it just me who gets agitated at McDonald's? Oh, my gosh. I remember once upon a time when I'd go on the Internet, and it took 12 minutes to do anything. You know? And now, like, five minutes is a bit too much. Um, right after Christmas, you see a lot of this stuff online, like where people will um, screen capture Twitter. And you see a lot of times where kids will say, you know, I hate my mom. She got me the white iPhone, not the gold iPhone. My parents are horrible. I wish they'd die. There's a lot of that stuff out there because we've grown to a place where contentment doesn't exist anymore. Like we have to have more to be happy. More, 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 more. Or better vacation or better car or better this or better that. And ultimately what Paul is going to present here is, is the opposite. You will not be happy trying to fill the hole in your heart with stuff. It is not possible, right? Um, and there are folks who do that. Anybody ever watch somebody live their life that way? Anybody related to anybody like that who's just fighting as hard as they can to fill up that hole inside them? And when they're done trying, they're emptier than they were in the first place? And you just got to feel sorry for them? Like, what the heck are you doing with your life? Um, so Paul goes on, whatever circumstances I'm in, um, I know how to get along with humble means, and also I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering need. So Paul says, listen, I know what it is to get along poor, right? I can sleep outside. I can eat nothing. I can, you know, Paul knows what it is to be in dire straits. Um, I love talking to longtime Montanans who will tell stories about canning food so they wouldn't starve. You know, or visiting the old homesteads that are abandoned now and you see the no plumbing thing. You know, and you think, these are folks who lived with nothing, right? And we live in such a different place now. And he, What? Sorry. All right, I thought somebody said something. Um, Paul is talking about how in his life, he lived both ways. He said, I've lived humble. I've lived with a lot. I've been fed. I've been hungry. Um, actually, the two big things he covers, mind you, are physical circumstances like living in comfortable setting or being poor, right? And then the other one is being hungry or being well-fed. Um, and he says, I've learned the secret um, 
of being filled and hungry, both having abundance. Like what he's talking about is um, he's talking about living despite the circumstances, living outside of the circumstances, living such a way that um, he's full whether he's hungry or not. Does that make sense? He's comfortable and content whether it's raining through his roof on his head or not, whether he's taking cold showers in the morning because there's no hot water or not, whether he's pushing his car to get it started every day or not. I remember when I, I got married to Jess, I, I had an old car. I didn't have an old car. I had a car that we had to push start every time we went anywhere. And, and the day we got married, Jess, or the day before we got married, Jess said, that car will be running. It will start on its own. Or I'm saying no when you, you know, at the altar. Like, <laughs> we, are not, we are not push starting out of our wedding. And I had to go out and scrape the money together to buy enough, you know, to get enough cash to buy a car battery to get the car to start on our wedding day. Right? And I was late. But I was late because I had to go buy a car battery. <laughs> well, be on my tombstone, I swear, at this point. It's been 15 years. Anyway, um, I, 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 I don't think I would do that today. I would not push start my car over and over again. I'm a lot older. I can't quite do it as well. Um, but I wouldn't. Why? Because I don't need to, right? And I probably wouldn't be content putting up with that. I might. I don't know. It's tough to stay with cars. Um, but it's interesting how we start off with very little, and the more we get, the easier it gets to be comfortable with having stuff, right? And we begin to forget what it means to be poor or to be content with nothing. And it kind of creeps up on you. Um, what Paul is talking about here is a contentment that goes beyond just the stuff. Um, specifically, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One of the most misused verses in the Bible, okay? What's this talking about? This is talking about two things specifically. First off, I can endure anything despite being poor, right? If, you know, if I don't have enough to eat, I can be hungry and I can be happy and I can get by because I have Jesus, right? And specifically what this means is if I starve to death tomorrow, what's going to happen to me? Or Paul, if Paul starves to death, what's going to happen to Paul? He's going to go to heaven. He actually starts out the letter saying, I'm not sure if it would be better for me to live or die at this point because if I live, I help you guys. If I die, I go to heaven. And then I'm done doing the work I have to do, right? Um, what Paul learned was, um, regardless of the circumstances, there was no fear to be had because the fear that he might carry, the concern he might have, the worry that everything's going to fall apart on him, right? He serves a God who's big enough to have that, right? He serves a God who's big enough that no matter what goes wrong, God's got it, right? If I wake up tomorrow and my freedom is gone, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, right? If I wake up tomorrow and, and the money's gone and I'm having to get another job, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'll do it until God tells me to stop, right? Um, ultimately, living with or without, having stuff or being uncomfortable or, or whatever, um, it's all just the state of our existence, and this is temporary. Does that make sense? You and me and everybody around you, we're just passing through. Right? We're visitors. Jess and I we were in a hotel uh, a couple weeks ago, a big hotel with a water park and everything else. And, and there's a part of me that always has trouble like getting comfortable in a place like that because it's like, I'm not staying here. 
you know, I'm going to be here for a couple days. I'm going to enjoy the, the hot tub and everything else. But you know what? I'm going home when this is done, right? This life we're living is temporary. The 60 years that I might be on this earth, <laughs> I've made a face. The 90 years I might be on this earth, um, you know, or however long it is, it's a blink of the eye next to eternity, right? And I'm, I'm going to argue that for Paul, Paul backs up and says, this is bad now, but there's heaven, right? I may have lost things that I care about, but I'll get it all back times 10 in heaven. Um, so the beginning of, of doing all things through Christ who strengthens us is being able to endure anything. And we endure anything with the knowledge that this life is temporary. Because Jesus died for my sins, I'm forgiven, right? And actually take it a step further. Any hardship I endure is money. It is not money in the bank. It's blessing in my life in relation to God, right? Like if I give up my family for Jesus, if I go hungry for Jesus, if I um, you know, lose my house, if I lose my car, if I lose my everything, these are all things that are credited back to me in Christ. Paul had an understanding, a theological understanding, that stuff goes away. Moth and rust destroys, right? Um, but any hardship we endure for Christ is credited back to us. You know, suffering in his name is a blessing we receive back. And so for Paul to look at it and say, wow, I'm getting tortured. You know, it was, it was tough to deal with Paul. There's an account in Acts where they come to him and they say, all right, Paul, we're going to kill you. And his response is, yeah, I get to go be with Jesus. <laughs> well, we're going to torture you. He says, yeah, I get to experience the sufferings of Jesus. Let's do this thing. <laughs> what are we going to start with? Well, fine, we're not going to torture you. We're going to put you in jail which is where Paul finds himself. And what does he do? He converts all the people around him. When he's in Philippi, actually, when we first read his account of going and planting this church, they've got him in stocks. Basically, they're torturing him. And what happens? The night after they start torturing him, they leave him in this torture device overnight, and, and the story comes back to him, and he's sitting there singing praise songs. What do you do with this guy? Right? You can't stop him, and you can't hurt him, because he realizes this isn't it. This isn't real. Heaven is forever, and heaven is real. The other thing that this is talking about, um, so it, it, first it pertains to how we exist. The second thing that Paul is talking about here, um, and this is important, is what we do, right? Now, Abigail, who I love more than anything, will sometimes decide she's going to do something like vacuum. Like, I'll, I'll get the vacuum cleaner out, and I'll start vacuuming. Anybody ever have a little girl or a little boy who wanted to help vacuum? And it makes it ten times harder to vacuum because they're helping? Um, if I step away and let her push that vacuum around, how's it going to go? The vacuum weighs three times more than she does, right? She ain't pushing that vacuum around, but she manages to do it. How does she manage to do it? I'm pushing, right? And as long as I'm pushing, she can do it. Sometimes we drive to the house, and she sits on my lap, and she drives the car. Can Abby even reach the pedals? No. She's pretty tall, but not that tall. She can't drive without my help. All things that Abby can accomplish, right, she can accomplish because I make it possible. In the same way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I can do all things through Christ, but that doesn't mean that I can go out and do whatever I want, right? I'm going to go and be a Vegas performer. See you guys. How's that going to go? 
My wife is laughing. I can't sing, right? But Jesus is in me. I can sing if I really... No. No. (laughs) It's not God's will that I become a Vegas singer, right? I may look good in a lounge suit. Leisure suit, is that the right word? I may look good in a leisure suit, but it doesn't matter because it's not God's will for my life, right? And I don't get to say, God, your will for my life is... Why? Because that's not how it works, right? God makes his own decisions. In the same way as if Abby decides she's going to vacuum the yard, I'm not going with her. (laughs) The vacuum's not going with her because she can't move it. I may decide, she may decide she's going to try, but it ain't going to work because nobody's going to help her, and she's going to end up out there, like, unable. Um, If I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me, it means if I operate in God's will, I carry with me the authority and the power of God, right? Um, there's a line in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about having a weakness, and he begs God to take the weakness away over and over and over again, and finally God comes back to him and says, you know what, I'm leaving it there because you, you, know, you need me in order to be strong. You're, you know, and, and my power is made complete in your weakness is actually the line. And what Paul says is, he says, look, you know what I realized then? When I'm weak, I need God the most. And so God is strongest when I'm trying the least, right? So when I'm least able, I'm strongest. When Abby, Abby pulled the bottle of milk out of the fridge the other day, ten, uh, a gallon of milk weighs about 10 pounds, right? And she's dragging it around the kitchen. She might be able to drag it around the kitchen for a little while, but she's going to get tired real quick. If I come along and I help her, she can carry anything, right? Um, if she fights me, she's less strong. Because she takes away from my strength. Does that make sense? We are strongest when God works through us, if we submit to him, if we recognize that it's him doing all the work. Paul can do anything. Paul changed the world, right? Paul is one man who literally changed the course of human history. He, he brought countless people to Christ. He, he did amazing stuff, but he did amazing stuff because God used him and he allowed God to use him. So if God said, you know what, you're going to be hungry for the next few days, Paul said, great. Let's do this thing, because this is what God wants. Anybody ever grumble at God when he wants something out of you, or he decides things are going to be a certain way, and you don't really feel like that's the way it's going to be? And you're like, well, you know what? If I was in charge, if you were in charge, you'd be Abby dragging that gallon of milk around the kitchen, and you wouldn't get very far. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because first off, I can endure anything if I can look to Jesus. And secondly, because God's strength, when I'm standing in his strength, is amazing. It's a lot bigger than mine. I am pretty strong, though. Just ask my wife. Um, (laughs) Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. What's he talking about? He's saying, listen, you people, the Philippian church, have given money to support this ministry, right? Part of how God is providing for Paul is through the Philippian church. And he actually says this. It's kind of interesting, and he reinforces it in 15. Um, you've shared with me in my affliction. What does that mean? That means that Paul's account, as Paul is doing this hard work, their supporting of him goes back to them as a blessing, right? They, it, it, it's credited back to them. Jesus actually says, right, like if you offer a cold, a cold cup of water to anybody who's one of my people, one of my servants, it's credited back to you tenfold, right? Paul is one of the servants. Paul is, would say he was the least of God's servants. And as they help him, it's credited back to them. Right? Part of the reason it's a huge deal to support missionary activity, by the way, is first off, we bring people to heaven. Right? Secondly is we participate in mission and we participate in ministry through our financial support. Right? 
through our sending of aid, through our sending of workers, through our sending of anything, we participate. And Paul reinforces it. You yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now that I seek the gift itself, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He's saying, listen, when I was preaching in your area, all the cities around you, I was up in Haver and Great Falls and all these other places, the churches in Great Falls didn't even feed me, even though there's a lot of people going to them and there's a lot of money there, right? But you people supported me. Um, And he says, it's not even about me. I want it credited back to you, right? I want you to recognize that God is putting it back in you. How does God put it back in us? First off, it talks about like blessing in heaven, right? Treasures in heaven. You know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. This is intimacy with God. This is, this is um, treasure and, and completeness in eternity. But it's beyond that. Um, it's also intimacy with God. When I give and I rely on God because I give, right, that changes my heart. That draws me closer to God. Um, and so Paul says, listen, in the matter of giving and receiving, meaning they heard the gospel, but nobody supported me except you. And so these are people who appreciated the gospel. They gave because they knew the importance of the mission, because they knew the importance of the gospel being spread, not because they wanted something, not because they were checking their box off for eternity, not because I have to give because the Bible says that 10% thing or the 30%. I'm not sure what I got to give something for that, though. You know, let's get that covered. It's not that. They gave because they knew the urgency of Paul's message. Um, or can you advance it for me? Maybe or not. Did it go forward up there? Yeah, 18. Mine got stuck. Um, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's really important to note here, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Paul recognizes that things that are given to him are holy right? This offering that's given to help him advance the ministry, it's not to be taken lightly. This is a holy, like, like set apart for God kind of thing. And Paul acknowledges that this is a big thing for him to take on, right? Um, he's content in anything. He sees the gifts that are given to him as ways to advance the gospel. Um, last passage. As we close out, this is Paul's closing lines. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with, you, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul says, all right. Um, he closes it out. Say hello to everybody, and everybody here says hi, right? Um, but he acknowledges, by the way, especially those in Caesar's household, Paul had managed to convert people in the emperor's house. Not a small thing. Um, Paul had done great things from a prison cell, and he didn't do it on his own. He wasn't dragging the gallon of milk around by himself. God enabled him to do that. Well, what do we do with all this? What Paul gives us here is a basic framework for understanding our lives and our stuff, right? We can complain when stuff doesn't go our way, um, but ultimately we can also find contentment Instead, we can also find contentment um, in what God has given us. I may have difficulty, but this is an opportunity 
for me to serve God in my difficulty. I may have loss, but this is an opportunity for me to lean on God in my loss. I may be frustrated. I may be ready to quit. I may be to do, you know, but these are opportunities for me to serve God in these situations and endure and to rely on him more. And the more I rely on him, the more intimate I am with him. And it's the one treasure that we have that never goes away. The second half of that is our stuff. I swear I can't believe how how miserable some of the wealthiest people I know are. (laughs) The more stuff they have, the worse that it is, right? They worry about what they have or what they can get or what. Everything you have is going to turn to dust one day. And you will not take it with you. You will not take it into heaven with you. You will not. None of that stuff. It's temporary, right? If we can recognize that, if we can recognize we can never fill ourselves up with our stuff, we can find real contentment in the other thing, right? Finding happiness by leaning on God. And we can use our stuff for great things. And ultimately, we can do all things through God, through Christ who strengthens us. That's because if we can step away from the things around us and lean on him and look to him and let him do the heavy lifting for us, God can accomplish great things through our lives. But only if we lean on him and we let him do the heavy lifting, right? His heavy lifting, not our heavy lifting. We're going to close in prayer, and I think we have one more song. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us and touch our hearts and our minds um, as we as we finish up this book today. Um, Help us to to live lives that are that are just filled with joy and focused on the joy that you give us, Lord, the joy that comes in in intimate knowledge of Christ and and closeness um, with Jesus, and and help us to help us to um, live our lives with with you doing the heavy lifting, Lord, without our our interference, our distraction. In Christ's name, amen.